Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Uh, good. Really good. Yeah, I had a great weekend. Just really hung out at the house all weekend with the kids, just playing and kind of packing, gearing, getting ready for our upcoming week-long elk hunting trip that I'm pretty excited about. So it kind of came quick. Beyond excited, <laughs> man. That's uh, I've been doing the same. We were actually out of town for the weekend, just the family. But even getting home last night, I was like piecing gear together and double-checking weights on things. And it's been one of those been busy so i've been basically packing like 10 minutes here 10 minutes there and it's been a mess but it's coming together that's for sure so dude can't wait <laughs> yeah. uh you were telling me and i was looking at the weather uh before i got this text but you guys got a bunch of rain at your place which is likely snow up where we're gonna be so kind of a front moving through over the weekend and prior to that it had been pretty stinking warm like st- still at elevation right yeah no it's been i mean it's october here we're still having 80 degree days in boise so um yeah, it's finally starting to cool off a little bit. Good storm moved through over the weekend, which I think is good. You know, get some snow up there, kind of mix things up a little bit for the elk, get some of them moving. Um, and then, yeah, it should be perfect, like clear skies and, you know, lows in the 20s, highs in the 50s probably should be great October weather for the hunt. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things, I guess, for that area this time of year, the norm if there can be one like because there's always extremes in the mountains you never know what you're going to get but that's kind of like in my head that's what i was thinking like 20 to 60 like somewhere in between there is where most of the attempts are going to be for most of the time probably right yeah absolutely yeah i mean there's the like opening day of deer last year was zero degrees and a foot of snow that's not uh something that happens you know it's once every 10 years you get a day like that um but yeah 20 to 60 and you know we get storms that move through it later you get into October and into November, you know, it starts becoming more and more likely that you're going to have some snow on the ground or it does snow, but the, you know, it's the snow still sticking around while you're hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you gotta be kind of planned and prepared. I was, and I was talking to you about clothing. You're like, man, I'm bringing a lot of clothes. Cause you just, you oh, don't know yeah. what you're getting into. And, uh, that's, you know, the truth of the matter, that's what it is. Like, yeah. September, it's pretty dang predictable. Get into yeah, mid, late October it's a little bit uh, a little bit trickier yeah. yeah i mean coming off like our archery hunt was warm um to, uh, average to warm like we had cool nights for sure but it, we didn't have any major storm systems anything like that so i went from you know not packing base layer bottoms not packing rain gear um packing super light insulation not worrying about gloves other than like a real light pair you know the archery hunt's easy right like pants uh, base layer, mid layer top and a jacket. And then you're done. Whereas going to this hunt, I'm like, well, I might need puffy pants. I'm going to need base layer bottoms. I'm going to need heavier weight gloves potentially. Uh, yeah. There's just a lot of extras when you have the unknown variables of October thrown at you. Yep. Yep. Is that pretty much what you find is just adding a layer or two? Yeah, it's not so much. Yes. Adding a layer or two. that part's simple. Um, it's really how much extra stuff do you take uh, with for the chance of just getting completely, you know, wetted out, um, just go out there and hunt all day and you're just soaked t- top to bottom. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you want to, you get back to base camp and you go out to hunt the next day and you, you almost have to have a whole extra set of clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it kind of starts stacking up on, on a hunt itself. Yeah. It's like thicker long johns, maybe my pants change gaiters and then an extra base layer. And then, uh wool base layer and that's probably probably it. if it gets really cold i've got like a that first light um down jacket i'm drawing a blank on the name but they're heavier one is that the chamberlain, uh, chamberlain. 
Yeah. If it gets cold, cold, you know, where it's the high is 30, low is 10, then I'll bust that thing out. Um, but that's it. Not There's not a lot like when you're talking about backpacking, it doesn't drastically change. It's just um, managing that and making sure that you got extras to, so you can stay out there hunting. And that's where, you know, the I'm not a fan of teepees at all um, from a practical standpoint of setting them up and the space they take. But the whole having a, uh, if you're backpacking, having that stove with you to where you get inside that thing and, and get dried out, get your clothes going uh, or dried out, that's going to make a huge difference on you know be able to stay out there for a week long hunt yeah yeah um, for, sure. for, for us we're gonna basically have a, a spike camp um you know have a big tent set up and and then uh, and then backpack out on like you know probably one or two night little trips just do kind of mini trips and then run back to camp um i'm optimistic though it's not gonna take super long to go kill two bulls so you keep um, saying that yeah. man <laughs> you're messing with my head <laughs> uh. yeah yeah, it's it's so fun. Like I love going into something new, and for this is all new. You know, it's it's yeah. country to me. Uh, obviously, of hunted elk in Idaho, actually not super far from where we'll be, but still, it's uh it's a new country that I've not put much foot in. Uh, it's a new time of year hunting elk with a rifle. Um, man, it's just I, I love that. Right, like I love the unknown. Um, and just what that means, right? Because it's, I mean, it's the same way with any, any hunts, any, like, even we always talk about this too, my wife and I with like our family vacations, like part of the fun in that is all of leading up to it, right? It's thinking about it, it's planning for it, it's anticipating it. Um, that's part of the fun. I mean, the trip itself is obviously great, but um, having something to look forward to and think through and plan and get excited about part of it. And so it always feels that yeah, way for absolutely. me with a new hunt. Uh, and this is a good example of that. Of like, man, hunting an elk with a rifle for the first time, being in a new country, uh, new time of year in that country. It's it's exciting, dude. Yeah, I think me personally, this is my first, what I would say, real rifle elk hunt. I mean, I, I did it, you know, when I was from 12 to 18 and our family kind of, um you know like i said that was how i started hunting was just that one week in october we'd go up with elk and deer tags and you know maybe every other year one person would kill something and then from 18 now till 36 i've been bow hunting elk every year um so this is my first real rifle elk hunt um i was kind of thinking about strategy and how we're going to hunt it i was sending you some waypoints and one cool thing we have is there's a decent chance some bulls will still be bugling so you have a Mm-hmm. kind of a potential to to hunt at least probably the first week maybe a little bit differently than you would later in the season you know yeah um, more 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 bow hunting uh mindset and, and approach to it with with you know packing a bugle tube and doing some location bugles and um so it'd be kind of interesting to to play that out i think we're just going to be on the ground making decisions on on what we're seeing what the country looks like and uh see what kind of strategy you want to do yeah i i've been you know, having only hunted elk in September, uh, for these years and always been archery season, like I'm one of those guys that's not assumed, but just don't have the, in the field experience of like what, what happens after that. Right. And clearly we've, we've even talked on the podcast with guys about, um, both late, like true late season elk hunts, as well as just, um, rifle hunts in general, kind of that October time frame. And of course you hear guys talk about, you know, bugling, carrying on, calling potentially still being effective, kind of that, like, second estrus phase for some cows and still rutting activity and all that. Like I've always heard that, but at the same time, now that I'm 
have actually been talking with more people uh, and looking at more things specifically for this hunt. That's, it's, I don't want to say surprising to me, but like it still is, I would just initially with this hunt, I wasn't planning on that. I'm just, I was just yeah. in my head, it was like, all right, you know, get high glass. They're going to be worn down from September and, you know, focusing on food and cover and blah, 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 blah. But then the more people I talk to, the more stuff I've looked at for this hunt, it's like, no, there's like very real chances of just flat out getting on bugling bulls. And like you said, like letting that be part of your strategy, which at first just wasn't, I just wasn't in that headspace. Um, so now it'll be yeah. interesting to see if we get into that activity. Yeah. I mean, literally as of a week ago, I was planning on more glassing points and stuff like that. And like, had to remind myself, oh yeah, there's still going to be talking a little bit. So yeah. maybe that's, you know, we don't have to focus on more open country where we, we can get into some timber pockets that I know hold elk, you know, and, and mm. get in there and, and get lucky by getting a location bugle off and being able to sneak in. Yeah. Which is funny. I mean, it's, there's any possibility uh, and it always depends on the, especially the country you're hunting, but even you think rifle hunt and immediately you start thinking of, you know, stretching distances or at least having these 200 plus yard shots. And at the same time, you always neglect the fact that, Oh, I could shoot something at 40 yards still. Right. Even though it's a rifle hunt, right? Like you, said, yeah. <laughs> you, you get into elk that are talking, you start getting into timber and you find yourself going, Oh, like as much as I practiced, you know, both prone, shooting off a pack, like practicing it, you know, 400 yards or whatever. Like you just have to be ready for that 40 yard shot too. That's taken, uh, you know, yeah. unsupported and, you know, kind of quick through the timber type deal. Yeah, absolutely. So you were, uh, we were talking about this hunt and, uh, you were excited to find out that spikes were illegal. <laughs> <I was>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was like branch antler bull. I wasn't uh, sure but it is any antlered bull so um yeah after that bull i shot uh during archery se season uh he's just a little bit the meat's kind of tough man i mean i ended up i actually just ground the entire thing into burger um so it's kind of like i was telling uh tyler bosch was going to come join us on the hunt for the weekend and i was like it's either spike or like 300 plus bull like I, yeah. uh, <laughs> like i had either got really really good meat or you know you got a nice bowl nice rack to hang on the wall at the end of it one of the one of the two yeah um we'll see what happens i, I always get pretty trigger happy the second an animal presents me with a good <laughs> shot so i highly doubt i'll pass anything up but um yeah ideally yeah it's, it's either a nice spike runs in and uh we shoot them or um or it's, it's a nice big old bowl so right. yeah how about you what um do you have a a dream to, to kill a monster bull do you want to just a good experience what's your kind of um preference or and are you cool shooting a spike do you want to just get some meat home to the family yeah no i mean i it's it going back to it all being new country and then even uh you know rifle hunting like some guys you just immediately think of that and you're like well i can be picky right like i i have you know not like with bow hunting in my mind especially on public land type stuff and um having a limited time to do it it's like you got to make the most of every opportunity um like if i have a bow in my hand i'm pretty much not passing any legal bowl um and with this it's it, i'm tempted to think differently and i don't have mm. like trophy um expectations i in the end like i was thinking about this the other day it's you know for me it still comes back to I just want to enjoy the hunt, like be out there, enjoy the mountains, enjoy being disconnected, enjoy hanging out with you and Tyler and some other guys that may swing by. 
uh, and just have the experience. Like to me, the experience is always like what's most important. And then Mm -hmm. meat's just secondary to that for sure. Um, And then antlers are what they are somewhere behind there. So for me, it's like being in the country, spending time with good people, uh, bringing home some meat, and then somewhere like fourth, fifth place is like, oh, yeah, I was a good bull or whatever. So (laughs) it, it... that's all like I have zero uh like that is my priority but at the same time because it's a rifle hunt uh because you think well you know maybe we'll see more bulls you know you you I am uh, tempted to be like well you know if it's a spike on day one right like opening morning that's going to be somewhat difficult to pull the trigger on when you don't know what else is out there um so it's one of those things I mean I think what would help me um, make decisions at least early on in the hunt is just going to be trying to kind of gauge, you know, both pressure in the area, um, as well as like, especially, you know, get some glassing light the day before the hunt starts. Like, what are we even seeing early, whether that's before the hunt, whether that's opening morning, what have you, but just get an idea for what is the potential of, you know, another call it another encounter. If there's uh, a shot opportunity, a small bull early, um, you know, what does pressure look like? All those different things I think will, um, give me a better feeling like in that moment, but in the end, like, yeah, antlers are what they are. Shoot a spike, raghorn five, a great six point, whatever. Like it's, that's third, fourth, fifth place to me, you know, in terms of priority. Thanks. Any, um, new gear things you're testing out, bringing along? Um, um let's be your first hunt with the hammer bullets right that's yeah new to you yeah Yeah, i mean that's i've been shooting those as uh you know we've talked about on the podcast we had steve from hammer on i think i've mentioned um you know some stuff that i've done with low development on those this will be yeah first time um checking out terminal performance if you will in terms of getting something on game so that's uh if they perform on game the way that I've seen them perform on game from other people, both people I personally know, like Tyler, as well as just my own research. Uh, and then what they, I would say, like are fundamentally designed to do um, with the way that they're constructed um, and how they're intended to perform. I honestly, and this is not like a, you know, we're not paid by hammer type thing. I honestly can't see myself shooting another bullet um, <laughs> from what I've already experienced in terms of load development consistency accuracy and honestly the ease of load development like i've i've literally never shot something that's been so accurate with so little effort um like they're just so some even just before this hunt um because i you know i'm using my ot6 uh the tika that we've talked about and so i started you know low development with those started and finished very quickly um, last spring. So I've been shooting those this summer and what have you, and they're just, they're unreal. Um, and I was really curious of like, well, is that a, like a one-off or if I tried to develop a new load for a new rifle, what would that look like? And, um, I have that newer Creedmoor, um, over from John at Mesa and just last week, um, tried to put together a load for that for the first time. And it was like, it was literally the exact same process. Like, load you know look at what data is out there in terms of what other people have tried in terms of powder uh, and charge weights and like i basically just did a ladder um and 0.3 grain increments of charge weight so i had like 10 rounds you know starting at um 
I had to have to pull the data in front of me, like say 38, 38.3, 38.6, 38.9, whatever. I just had 10 rounds going up by three tenths of a grain charge, you know, trying to get to uh, find where pressure is and then just back down from that slightly. That's essentially all you really do. And then just immediately either find a velocity node that you like or find where pressure is and back down a bit and then load four, uh, you know, load multiple rounds there and then see how it's shooting accuracy wise. And so literally within, you know, 10 to 15 shots, like you could be done with load development. That's what my experience was with the Tika. And now having done that again on this 6.5, it's the exact same thing. Like I shot those 10 rounds um, and they all went it, and I legit wasn't even trying to like group. I was just shooting to see what velocity was um, with that charge weight. And all 10 rounds shot in 1.1 MOA. 10 different loads shot one Holy point time away. <laughs> yeah, it was just ridiculous. Um, and then the, you know, he talked about this too, like the um, the lower, I think he calls it engraving pressure. They they generally get, are able to get higher speeds out of the hammer bullets. Um, with my 30 out six, I'm running the 166 grains at like 29.30, um, which is pretty quick for a not six. And then same thing, my newer six fives at Creedmoor, and I'm running the 124 grains at 2,900. Um, and that's a 20-inch barrel. So that's even a shorter barrel. So it's like yeah, between speed and accuracy. Yeah. Like, man, um, I know it sounds like a giant commercial. It isn't. But all that said to say, I've just been <laughs> super freaking impressed with them. I can't wait to, to see how yeah. they perform on game, this elk hunt and some elk, other deer yeah. hunts and all that stuff. So Yeah, I know Tyler ran his through the sheep. Um, and then now he ran through a, a elk he just shot last week. And both times he's very, very impressed with them. So yeah, yeah. I'll be uh, excited to see how they do for you. Yeah, for sure. Yep, uh, anything one. else? And you got new, new boots, new clothes, new no, water filter. Man. Yeah, I think all that's the standard stuff. Yeah. Um, the only other, and this goes back to the shooting side. I was telling you, um, you know, like last year in Alaska, both for the caribou hunt and then Kodiak had those, uh, quick sticks from wiser precision so essentially trekking pole um adapters for your trekking pole that shoot them turn them into shooting sticks um and those are super slick for sure um i was interested to see for like say i do have a you know longer shot 300 yards 400 yards something like that and it's not able to be in a prone position um you know the quick sticks are good they're great support um, especially for the forehand, obviously, um, I've practiced more even since those last hunts, uh, last year with like using my pack, um, as a rear support, whether that's under my arm or under the rifle. And that's helpful. Um, and the, like those caribou and deer were all at 200 ish yards. Um, but uh, you know, I was like, man, extending beyond two, I just don't know. Ideally you want to get prone. What if you can't? So one of the things I had seen and was just curious about was, uh, you know, we use that Spartan Precision bipod. And so my rifles are all set up for that with their little quick, uh, quick attach, detach system. And then Spartan has essentially a tripod head. They call it the Davros. And it can go on any tripod. Um, and then it's basically that same type of attachment as the bipod. Um, so now essentially I can just really quickly attach my rifle to the the tripod and shoot off of a tripod 
And then they also have optics adapters. So if I run, want to run my binos on that same head, you can, that type of deal. So I was curious about that. Um, picked one of those up. And, uh, you know, that's something new. I've been shooting with it at the range um, and doing some, some longer distance stuff on steel with it. Um, and it's definitely a cool option. Like if you're already um, a part of like the Spartan uh, ecosystem, if you will, like if your rifle's already set up with that type of attachment, um, there's potential there for sure. So I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say it's my go-to and it's also not um, a full-on shooting tripod, like a rifle shooting tripod, like a really right stuff or like a lot of, you know, what a lot of the PRS or true long range guys would be using, but it's a, it's a pretty cool system. Um, you know, I've been shooting off of it. Um, I definitely am going to keep it for this hunt. Obviously it's one of those things where, um, you know, just in the hierarchy of shooting position, like I always want to be as low to the ground as possible and have the most contact possible. So ideally if, you know, you have a longer shot, you're going to go prone. If you have to work your way up towards like a kneeling sitting shot, um, something like the quick sticks or this head, um, you could use for shooting support. So it's an option. It's new. Um, obviously don't know if I'm going to need it for the hunt, right? Like to actually shoot off of, but in practice, um, it's been a pretty cool solution for sure. So that's new. Um, Man, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Like clothing is just one of those things that just not much changes. Um, like we said, it's just adding a layer or two. Um, the system stuff's pretty much the same. The only other thing I'd say on clothing, um, you know, we've talked a bunch about using piranhas. And then I had mentioned, we, we had talked before about some budget options. And those Wrangler outdoor pants, um, they're like a $20 version, essentially, of Piranha Zion pants uh, that you can get at Walmart or direct from. Uh, Wrangler has a website you can buy direct from. I'd been wearing those more and more and really like them, um, especially for the price. And then I noticed that they had a fleece-lined pair. Um, so I'm bringing out a pair of those just in case there is a colder day or not as active um so instead mm -hmm. of having a base layer they're just the same fleece lined and they're literally 26 dollars um <laughs> i got them in the other day and like they're freaking solid man um if they hold up like my other 20 dollar non-fleece lined ones have i mean it's like a no-brainer for 26 bucks so that's kind of a um, random one that's blows cool. my mind when i see something like just knowing manufacturing the cost of what it is in the U.S. anyways for material and sewing and, and all that stuff that of the fact that something could be made and sold for profit at $20 <laughs> just blows my mind. Well, yeah, but like made crazy. and then transported overseas, like just all yeah, of I mean, the whole life cycle of that product. And yeah, it's $26. It's wild. Yeah. It's nuts, man. It's totally not. And you look at it and they're not, I'm not saying they're as nice as a piranha, but like they're not terribly sewn. They're not terribly cut. Like they fit well, um, really comfortable, nice stretch to uh, like third for 26 bucks, man. If you're looking pair. for pants on a budget, it'd be hard to beat them for sure. And my other ones have, you know, held up surprisingly well. Um, so yeah, they're just third cool option for sure. Yeah, man, I can't think of much else. Um, boots, you know, I'm bringing the quests, uh, love and hate them. I'm bringing them. Um, and then I'm bringing, uh, if it's colder weather, super wet, something like that, the crispy, uh, Nevadas, um, which I got for Alaska last year. 
and you know they're definitely waterproof and a bit warmer really durable they're just not they're not as comfortable to me as a quest and they're not gonna be uh for my preference anyway they're just a stiffer heavier boot but um, when it comes to being warmer and drier and um just crazy durable they've been great so i'm kind of bringing those as the crap weather boot um yeah man i was gonna throw a whole tote together of all the different boots i got because it's kind of cool that tyler you and i were all 11 and a halfs yeah um so we did that on the Kodiak hunt last year, swap boots around. I was going to bring a bunch and we'll, you know, on the days where you're going out for the day, you know, try a completely random new boot, just check it out. It'll be kind of fun. For sure. Yeah. There was actually uh we had a listener follow up when I was talking about quest. I think that was just last week. Um, and then he heard, I think you mentioned the Hanvag Alverstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saying those flexed at a weird point on his foot that caused pain, but then he said he returned those and got the Macra Combi GTX. Do you okay. have those or have you looked uh-huh. at those? Don't have them, no, but okay. yeah, I've looked at them. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So he was saying those were very comfortable to him, felt more like a Quest, uh, a mm. little bit stiffer, um, but not terribly um, too stiff, and so he said he was going to rock those and then test the durability and waterproof proofness of those. So those were something that I think uh, I didn't have time to get them for this hunt, but I think after this hunt, I might pick up a pair of those and test them out. Yeah. Besides boots, you're always testing boots. You trying anything new? Um, no, I'll try the, um, I'll get the uh, SIG, their, their range finding binos this time. Uh, you had those on like, oh, the uh, those, caribou man. hunt last year. Yeah. I mean, they're, um, you know, it's not going to be, I don't anticipate it being a glassing heavy type punt. Um, it's more probably spot the elk and then figure out how, how we're going to get over there in four or five hours. You know, it's big country. Especially um, since we're not seeing like, is he 340 or 350? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, there's a bull, good rack. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Uh, or there's a spike. Let's go. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be playing with those for sure. It's, it's kind of a, such a new thing, you know, it sounds simple but it's just like i'm, I'm just so used to having a range right in my pocket in my binos that uh like i find myself pulling the binos up and and uh just when i was like shooting just to getting dialed in um uh swap i was playing with ammo and scopes and stuff so i had to get my gun resetted in and uh, i find myself like pulling it up and, and going to range but then it's out of focus and it's just not something you're used to have to do with a rangefinder, right it's like always in oh, focus so yeah go up and it's like oh it's not oh okay mess with the focus wheel then go hit the range button it's like that extra little step um you know it's it's a small little thing i'm sure i'll get used to it but kind of been annoying um but they're nice i mean having that i can definitely see for for rifle hunting um you know it's a higher power magnification it's a nice and clear image um, it's a little bit more stable cause you're kind of holding it with both hands. So being able to get a, a more precise range at five, five, 600 yards, is pretty handy. So. Yeah. Man, uh, and the optics those... are, su- I was gonna say the optics are surprisingly clear in that thing. I mean, they're, yeah. no, they're not my SLCs, but they're not, they're not bad, man. They're not that far behind. They're definitely no. a lot nicer than, than, um, you know, like a, a six, $800 binocular would be. So, yeah, no, I had. I had gotten those literally like I think of two weeks maybe before a caribou hunt last year. Um, and I had just been using um, Razer HDs. And so I spent a fair amount of time with the SIGs and the Razer HD side by side. So neither of them are Swerve, right? But um, I was surprised to see um, the SIGs stack up really well with those and beat them, you know, in some criteria. 
Um, and then having mm-hmm. used those on uh, three hunts last fall, um, man, for rifle hunting, it's so cool. Um, because, you know, you mentioned, yes, getting range and being more stable, but they have the ballistics engine built in. So you literally set up your um, configuration of your rifle in there in terms of the bullet you're shooting, its BC, its velocity, what have you. And so you range, and yes, it'll tell you, you know, 370 yards, but then immediately after that, it's going to tell you, you know, whatever, like 3.6 MOA. Um, and that's all configured by you for your rifle. Um, and so it's pretty, and it's really easy to put those variables in. Um, so it's, you know, it's part of their BDX system, which, you know, if you have the BDX scope and you can literally range it through the binos and then the scope automatically gives you a naming point. It's got that whole deal, um, which I don't use and I'm still, I have mixed feelings on that for sure. (laughs) We'll leave it there for now. Um, but just, what? sorry, what was that? No, I was just I was just saying I don't use the BDX their full BDX system, meaning how you range and then this it sends data essentially oh, to the scope oh, and the scope has oh, electronics. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it, I, that's what I use in Alaska, man. I I yeah. freaking love the system. I mean, it's yeah. it's electronic. It's got failures, but they've got so many backup points built in there for anticipating a failure. Um, yeah. Does it's it kind though? of? I mean, yeah. Because like, what if that yeah. reticle's dead? Like, what if the you know what I mean? Uh, what if the electronics in that reticle? Because it's a simple reticle without it, and you don't have holdovers, and it's not exposed. Uh, right. Like, yeah. I mean, wor- that's worst case. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you have a crosshair and a dial, so it becomes right. a you know the VX5 I had on my scope. It's not a super fine crosshair, but it's still a crosshair and a dial. I mean, that's worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get my head there. I got to spend more time using it to even like consider that. But okay. anyway, yeah. I was just, I love the <laughs> fact that it can say, okay, like range, it's 370 yards or whatever. And it's, you know, three point whatever MOA. And then you just dial and you're on, on whatever scope you want to use. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that's something I, I'd shot that VX5 uh, HD on all of our hunts last year and was planning on running it this year. And then I ended up picking up a... Um, the Zeiss made some updates to their V4 um, that I was mm. really curious about. Um, so I actually picked up one of those. And it's very comparable in features and price to the VX5 in a lot of ways. Um, and then also uh, Vortex has that new ER. It came out earlier this year, the LHT. Um, mm-hmm. So those three scopes, I have all three of those on hand. Um, and I'm actually am going to do like a more in-depth review slash comparison of those three because I feel like they're all three phenomenal um, scopes, at least mm. for what I'm looking for in a hunting scope. Um, and you'd agree because you want first focal plane, but that's a different discussion for a different day. But if you want um, a second focal plane, kind of like good all-around scope that has, you know, repeatable turrets and they all have different versions of locking turrets like there's different nuances to them for sure and that's what i want to explore in the review but i have all three of those on hand right now um they're all great um but i've actually decided at least for this hunt i'm running that that zeiss v4 um i'm not saying it's the best one yet but it's uh for this hunt i found the most appeal in that one for sure sweet we got derailed i forgot what the heck we were talking about (laughs) so did i (laughs) we got all gear geeky 
Um, what are your thoughts, Steve, on uh, on doubling up on putting two elk on the ground? Like, I'll do that all day long. Yeah, all right, perfect. Just want to make sure, man. It'll be cold. Yeah, we'll just that's what get I was the thinking. get it cut up, get the meat hung, and then spend two three days packing it out. Because where we're hunting, I mean, it's two days a bowl. Uh, yeah, I mean, where I want to go, where you know, it's yeah, we're. 30,000 to 3,500 feet off the top coming down. Um, so everything's uphill and, and, uh, not exactly easy country, lots of downfall. And mm-hmm. so it'll be some work, but yeah, I'm all, all for that always. So yeah. kill two bulls and just, uh, get it packed out, drink some whiskey at camp that night and then repeat for a couple more days. Go Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah. It was when we were exchanging points and like routes and stuff like that, it was like, I still had to remind myself cause I'm just, I get all excited and I'm like, yeah, let's go cover that country. And then I still have to like bring myself back. I'm like, okay, what if we actually shoot an elk here and then start running numbers <laughs> on like distance and elevation. I'm like, oh, that's, that's some work. That'll be good. Yeah. It'll, uh, yeah. it'll be a little bit of an exercise. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Too young to worry about, uh, worry about where I kill it and just kill it and then worry about it later. Yeah. And like you said, it's not like weather's going to be a factor like we got time um we'll have yeah. help if yeah, Tyler shows up, not so. an issue. Yeah. yeah we'll be all good there man sweet um yeah i think a little uh you know we've talked about doing this in the past and haven't always done it for different reasons but it'd be uh fun i'm planning on maybe doing some like segments of a podcast or what have you they won't be um full episodes by any means but maybe like some in the field updates and that type of thing that we'll piece together so more to come on the hunt we might you know do what we've done in the past like after alaska just debrief afterwards but i think it'd be on this hunt especially we'll have some more downtime um you know and time at camp and kind of like there's a little bit less daylight things like that where it'll make it uh, a little more practical for us to to do some podcasting in the field. So we'll, we'll go for that. Yeah. We'll see what comes, but we'll either way, we'll have uh, a bunch to come after the hunt. Yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Just get out for a week, get up in the mountains, chase some elk. Yeah. Good company. It'll be a great time. Sweet well, listeners. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you got any questions, uh, we'll get back to doing those listener questions on Monday minutes. So just shoot us an email to podcast at xmountgear.com. Uh, if there's even like a question you want to hear about something we mentioned uh, in this episode and how it worked on the hunt, something like that, feel free to call that out and we'll chat through that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side of this one. We do have an episode dropping Wednesday uh, with uh, Lenny and Tyler about a recent elk adventure they had, which is an awesome episode about uh tyler hunting um with tyler and lenny both hunting with their young sons which is a cool story and then also uh just a few days later lenny shooting the biggest bull he's ever shot so some fun stories from september to come on this wednesday and then after that we'll talk to you after this hunt thanks for tuning in